What's up, everybody? It is April 29th. We're almost done with the month of April here. Hopefully, everybody's selling well and closing out the month strong. This is Scott Lease here with my friend Richard Harris with another episode of the Surf and Sales Podcast. We are here today with somebody who's becoming a good friend of mine, Bilal Betraoui, who is a community leader on Bravado and uh, has a big, powerful voice on LinkedIn and is, is dropping sales tips very tactical stuff all the time. So we're excited to uh, chat with you today, Bilal. Oh, I appreciate you guys having me. It's an honor to be here. You know, I've been following your guys' content way, way back. So this is like, a, it's like a Cinderella moment. It's like, oh my God, <laughs> I'm at the ball here with Richard Harris and Scott Lee's get out of town. <laughs> as, long as, as long as I'm Cinderella, <laughs> Scott's the ugly stepsister. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. The cruel stepsister. Here's, here's the title of this episode, right? Yeah, we already got it's it. Cinderella, got Scott's it. the ugly stepsister. <laughs> so tell, tell, tell the audience, Bilal, uh, you know, kind of what some of your, your experiences in, in sales and kind of what you're doing right now with the community on Bravado and, you know, yeah. give people some context for some of the info and, and uh, knowledge that you'll be sharing with everybody. For sure. For sure. I, I, so I've been in, I've been in sales for 10 years now and uh, like many had no clue that I was going to be in sales. You know, it was the, the only company that was professional at the job fair at university was this uh, company called Trinet hiring for SDRs. Everybody else was uh, being a couple of amateurs about it. So that I applied for it, got the job and I was like, okay, my parents are like sales. And then the commission sex come in and I was like sales. <laughs> this is, this is for real. And uh, I was just very fortunate that I had a really, really good manager, Joe Bush, when I first um, got into sales that really taught me the right way to do it um, and laid a good foundation for me. And it was a startup. It went IPO. It was an incredible experience. And I was just hooked. I was like, startup sales is where it's at. And uh, well, now, slow so down. So first of all, um, where, where, what school were you at? I went to University of South Florida. Yeah. Okay. Right. Yeah. And then... And then when you say Trident, you mean the healthcare people? That's right. That's right. This was back when they were like 500 employees and just on acquisition mode. And they uh, acquired a company in Florida and I worked out of that office. And I spent about three years there. So, uh, and so, did, just out of curiosity, what, when you said you know, your boss was really good and taught you the right way, what are some of the things that he taught you early that you would give advice to other people who are either a early in sales or mm -hmm. b around a while and they maybe forgot. Oh yeah, I should be doing that. Like, what are some mm -hmm. of those things that have really stuck with you? So the interesting thing was my manager really focused on the psychology of the sale a lot more than tactical things. So I, it was years before I learned what the hell medic or bent stood for. We weren't thinking that way. He was teaching me things like it takes seven impressions within a two week period to create brand recognition. All right. It's so that kind of weird stats like that. We we're like, Oh really? And he was telling me, yeah, you know, if, if I tell you something today you've never heard of and you hear it seven more times in the next two weeks, it creates a connection in your brain and you will remember that thing. I'm like, I didn't know that. And he's like, you got to use that into your, your uh, sequencing and how you contact people. You got to think about creating a, some sort of familiarity before you ever get on the phone with them. And knowing maybe are they a sister company of a VC that uses our product, lead with that, right? Instead of a pitch, because nobody wants to hear the pitch anyways. Things like that, that were, um, you know, I think in today's standard training, 
not typically included. Um, you know, the typical kind of like product vomit that you get your first week, then you get cursed with knowledge and then you're giddy and you get on the phone and you give them all your value props and they're like, no one cares. I love that phrase, product vomit. That's fantastic. So just out of curiosity, cause you know, now with the, with the advancement of, you know, the sales lofts and the outreaches of the world and vanilla soft and those places, what is, um, do you still think it's seven touches in the first two weeks or do you think it's even more because of the noise? I think some of the basics still apply, but now it's about quality as well. So it's, it, you can create an, you know, it's a lot easier now to create a negative impression than a positive one before it was a little bit easier. Just, you could just repeat it and you'd create that positive impression. Now you can't right now. You can't. What do you mean negative? So what's a negative impression? Like what should people not be doing? You know, it's the, it, it's the response from the prospect of unsubscribe, right? Like you, you're, you're being way too aggressive and this is turning me off and they're going to associate you in that. Brand. So remember, you i keep drilling down on this right like yeah. okay so i'm an sdr yeah. right um i'm i'm bilal but now it's 2020 april 29th and i'm an sdr how do i not do that how do i not yeah. put them off and granted we're in a covid world so there's even more scrutiny so let's just assume that you're in a more traditional world not this mm -hmm. COVID. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah what, what, what are your touches feeling like? What are they saying? What are they not saying? So I like to, I like to think about a cold sequence nowadays being a story. Okay. So we take away this idea of like call to actions and all this stuff. And we say, what's the message that we want them to get at the end of this thing? Let's just assume that they're going to go through the full cycle, right? Touch one. I just want to introduce a concept. Hey, I know a little bit about your world. This is something that a lot of people like you tell me is a problem. Is it a problem for you? No call to action, email. extremely short, right? Second email, a bump to the first one, just bringing it back to your attention again. Third email then says that problem, here are some of the ways people have told me they try to solve it, not related to my product, just ways I hear people doing it. Some of them work, some of them don't. Again, is this your area or do you think I should be speaking to someone else? Fourth email, bump to that. Fifth email, now I'm gonna offer a solution. Right now I'm going to try to paint the picture of like, all right, there's a problem. It's affecting a lot of people like you. I'm going to take a wild guess and say, you're not the exception. You're the norm. And you're in that camp too. Here's the promised land and give them just a little bit of taste of that. Right. The impact could be if you did this differently, X, Y, and Z. Again, who do you recommend I talk to? Usually it's people with your title. Don't want to make assumptions about your business. Maybe it's someone else. And then a breakup email at the end, right? You take them through that journey and it's very different to like the value prop, call to action, aggressive, asking for your time style messages that we get today that are so boilerplate. I mean, you could literally, it feels like you're getting the same messages from different companies over and over and over again, right? So how, how do you differentiate? I heard you say, I think, breakup email. And I think there's a little bit of controversy in that. I think some people would say you shouldn't do these like breakup emails <clears throat> at all. And then you said, you know, there's all these boilerplate messages and whatnot. So talk to me about your belief in the breakup email. And then if you're going to do it, how are you doing it? So it's not boilerplate and, and, and also pissing somebody off. I'm curious how you think about, yeah, uh, about this stuff. And then I know Richard has opinions on the breakup email as well. 
Um, you know, the, the breakup email in that kind of a sequence is just one where like, I gave it a shot and by no means, you know, the world is big. There's a lot of people to talk to. So if, if you're not interested in talking, there's no harm or foul. You're not hurting my feelings. So the, the breakup email is a very specific sentence. There's a fine line between persistence and pestering that I don't aim to cross. This will be my final email. I was just emailing you to know who was responsible for X, Y, or Z. That's it. Right. And, and you leave them, you leave them. You know, the world's big. There should be plenty of people to sell to. And is that how you would do the breakup email, Richard? So I, I see it. Um, yes, but I don't know that SDRs do breakup emails, right? So I'm much more, when I talk, when I talk about breakup emails, much more about the AE and someone's gone dark on you. To some extent, I'm not sure an SDR has the right to go as forceful on a breakup email, right? You've never spoken to someone. So I like, I like Bilal's point of like, hey, clearly, you know, time's not right. I'm going to stop bugging you. You know, if you're interested, you know, we're here. Wish you the best. Like I, I can get behind that philosophy. Um, but I definitely don't think it should be, particularly from an SDR perspective of, you know, um, okay, well, you know, seems like you're not interested, blah, blah, blah. You know what I mean? I, it's, it's not a forced breakup, right? Like you can't, you can't just sort of swipe left on these people, right? Um, you know, to, to speak in a, in a much younger generational phrase, right? Um, <laughs> no, I'm with you. And, you know, it, it goes back to like the buyer's journey. And this is the thing that I wasn't taught over a lot of my sales career that I wish I knew very early on, which is that the buyer's journey is universal. Like whether you're buying a stick of gum, a house, or a piece of software, we go through the same stages every single time. It's unaware, aware, consideration, evaluation, decision. That's it. And if I can understand where my prospect is, and there's an inflection point where a prospect becomes a buyer, right? Like nomenclature matters. Prospects are people who could buy from me. It doesn't mean they are or they're interested. A buyer is somebody who actually now has intent and is showing me that they are considering or evaluating or making a decision on a product. Prior to that, anybody who's unaware or just simply aware, they are prospects. They're not buyers. They haven't given any signal and they have no intent. Maybe yeah. you can catalyze that. Maybe you can't, but you, that's the state they're in. Since, since, you believe, since you believe that to be the, the kind of universal buyer's journey, do you believe it's possible to speed that journey up? As, 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 a, as a seller, is it possible to shrink the, the distance, the, the amount of time it takes for somebody to go through that? I'm, I'm asking because there's somebody that, that I'm thinking of right now who doesn't believe in, in urgency. Um, and I do believe in urgency. And, and so I'm curious how you, um, how you, you think about, about that. Yeah. So, I, I don't believe in urgency. I don't believe a seller can create urgency. I believe urgency no. is external. So it could be can internal. A, can, a seller, can a seller bring out the urgency that already yes. is latent and exists? A, a seller can catalyze urgency, not create it. So that's the difference, right? That's my opinion. A seller can catalyze urgency, not create it. Um, mm -hmm. like I can catalyze urgency around an external force, some sort of a you know, government regulation or some sort of, a, you know, event like what's going on now in the world that's causing change and create urgency or excuse me, catalyze the urgency because of that event or something internal within the company that's causing uh, 
uh, a situation to change and try to catalyze urgency around it. But those are external to my control. I mean, I as a seller equipped with a VoIP number, an email, and a computer, I'm not going to create urgency artificially in a company like IBM just by, you know, sending some snazzy emails and a cool one pager. It just, it's got to already be there to some extent. But if I do focus on my ideal customer profile within that subset of universe of prospects and buyers, and I really drill down, then I'll know what the exact things are that can catalyze urgency. Yeah. And I can drill that into my email. Interesting, interesting wordplay there. Um, yeah. Because I think I think I think my belief is the same. I just choose to believe that and empower myself that um, I'm creating it rather than catalyzing it. I think it gives me more confidence as a as a seller, and I'm very very conscious as a seller of my own self confidence. And if I'm managing a team of people, their self confidence. So even if I'm giving my team perhaps a little bit of the illusion of control um, mm. it benefits their selling behavior moving forward. I think I'm okay with that. Yeah. So I, I want to go back a little bit and I'll, I think we're saying the same thing is that, so one, I kind of see the pipeline a little diff, the same, but different. So I think you have a world of suspects, mm. right? These are all, this is my ICP. And then mm. I need to fill those down into prospects mm. and somewhere between suspect and prospect. I've created some level of urgency to make them want to take the call. Mm. Right? So your urgency level on a scale of one to 10 may go from zero to two because now all of a sudden, well, it's urgent enough that they've I've pointed something out. It doesn't mean it's urgent enough to drive them to buy, but that is the whole purpose of the SDR funnel is to drive a certain level of urgency to start the conversation through that conversation, drive urgency to say, yeah, actually this is something important. And then it's up to the AE to sort of carry it through I think you're saying the same thing just sort of in different ways. Um, and I agree with Scott that I need that game because if I have to set appointments, I have to create some urgency. If I don't create any urgency, there's no way they're going to take that appointment, right? Yeah. Uh, but it doesn't mean urgency to buy now. It means urgency to explore. Well, right? and I like the words you used, Richard, because you said, you know, you're going to point out something and then drive urgency towards that. And my, the, what I'm saying is that thing you're pointing out, you didn't create. It's something that already either existed in their business or is an external factor going to impact their business, one or the other. So because of that, it's always external. So and that, you, that's why I disagree, because there's something I did say that captured their attention. Hmm. Because if it was already on their mind, they've either, a, they've either commoditized it to be lower on the priority list, and something hmm. I said is helping to drive it. Mm. At, least, at least the way I'm hearing you say it, right? The way I'm hearing you say it, it's kind of like, well, it has to be a project they're working on. Well, not necessarily, right? If I can show them real impact of why this needs to be done sooner than later, then that is me driving some level of urgency with them. But that doesn't mean urgency to buy. Yes, but you're pointing out something that already exists, whether it was on their mind or not, right? Independent of that you weren't the one who created that thing, right? So let's say like, let's drill it down to like a real world example. Like let's say I was selling HR tech at Trinet, right? Every year in the state of California where I sold to, year over year, benefits costs increase around 10 to 12%. And benefits costs are the number two driver of cost for businesses behind payroll for the average company. So I would call up CFOs 
who didn't want to talk about HR, and I wouldn't mention a thing about HR, I would just go straight into many of the CFOs I'm talking to are telling me about their 10 to 12% increase year over year in benefits costs, which is crazy because for your number two cross costs to increase like that year over year, it's a substantial amount. Yeah. Here's some of the ways I heard people dealing with it. Just curious. But, that, what that, is. But, but here's this, the is the, this is just the difference in the wordplay. No, he's also talking about selling something that everybody has to have, right? I, I, I need you, Bilal, to go and sell something where there's a category creation, uh-huh. right? Where there's, there's an evangelical part of the sale. Like, yeah. you know, I love that you had an, a great experience at, at Trinet, but yeah. come on, go, go sell something that never existed before and then come back and tell me that. So I, I mean, did. Connectify. That's like, Connectify. go Richard, go. Well, I know Bilal has, though. Yes. So he, he, yes. <laughs> so we... At Connectifier, we went against LinkedIn, who truly has no competitors, and we we won because they acquired us because it was we were kind of beating them in some places they didn't like to get beat, and we were we were changing the equation there on on how recruiters should recruit. Which traditionally today, you buy a LinkedIn recruiter seat, you get a bunch of emails, and that's where you go. And we were selling something that changed that the closed garden approach of LinkedIn to focus on everything being on LinkedIn and not off the platform to being able to use uh, personal email, social media, and all sorts of different ways to get in touch with the right kind of candidates and doing it so that you can't mass message them. We would limit their ability to do so. Stuff that recruiters hadn't seen before and technology that really didn't exist before then. And it was the same approach, right? It was, it was always about, okay, this is what your core function is as a recruiter. And guess what? You're always going to be limited by the fact that you are using a lower form of communication in mail versus email or phone number or all these other ways. Why not diversify the way you reach out to candidates? Why would you pigeonhole yourself in one single tactic? We all know that doesn't make sense. So it was still always focused on something that was from their world that I didn't create. But I was, like you said, either bringing it to the top of the list when it wasn't or adding it to the list when it didn't exist and then driving the urgency around it. But there was something already there for me to point to. There was something in the world to be like, that thing. Have you been looking at that thing? Or you have or you have? Here's why you should. This is, this is all, this, Richard, this is just all wordplay and, and how we know that Bilal is a more confident individual than we are because we, our self-esteem is so fragile that we have to use the word creation. So we feel some sense of control and he's like, <laughs> he needs this all chill. Like, no, Scott, Richard, you guys, you don't control anything. You know, I, like, I don't know what you mean by self-esteem. <laughs> <laughs> I want to, I want to ask you about these like new and different ways to, <clears throat> to reach out and things like that. You know, I heard you just talking about your, your story at the company that you were at before. What are some of your, your favorite ways to, um, you know, prospect and reach out and get in front of people, reconnect with people, um, you know, kind of, kind of newer, newer trends, not something that maybe nobody's ever heard before, but like things that are kind of more, more fresh that you're really enjoying. And then if there is anything, that is like new that you're thinking of and, and, and wild that you're experimenting with. Maybe you can share that with us. Yeah. Well, I mean, the big change for me was in the last eight months building my brand on LinkedIn and, and doing that, which, which was something that, you know, like many people, I just heard socials. I mean, I've been hearing social selling since I started in sales 
like 10 years ago, they were still talking about it. And I didn't know what it meant. Like, what is this thing? I'm supposed to close deals by just like tweeting. Yeah, I didn't, it didn't make sense to me back then. It really didn't make sense to me until about eight months ago when I stopped thinking about selling my product and started thinking about selling myself. And then if people bought me, then whatever I was selling could also then be a secondary benefit to them. So how, did, how did you how did you think about building your brand? Was it like very strategic on your part? I'm, I'm asking because, you know, Richard and I did this like a long time ago, not, not yeah. eight months ago. So I'm, I'm curious. I don't, I think I know the answer. I, and I, I've seen all sorts of like guides and fancy eBooks about this stuff right now. And I know you and the way you think. So my guess is that you were like very systematic about it and, and how to, you know, full on plan and, and all this kind of thing, as opposed to Richard and I, which we were just like, wow, look at all these, look at, look at this, we can do this. Yeah. It's all haphazard and like, holy <laughs> shit, it actually worked. <laughs> I mean, it was, it was, there was definitely premeditation, right? It, it was not haphazard by any means. Cause I, I was just tired of explaining to startups that I knew what I was doing. I'm like, y'all need to explain to me that you know what you're doing. Cause last time I checked, 80 to 90% of startups fail. So you're, you're in the fail category until you prove you're a success. I'm still here. Like I'm not, you know what I mean? So it's like, you all need to start proving to me that you can handle your business. So that, that's kind of what started it all. And, um, and I just wanted to post about like that. I always saw the what. So it was like, like today, like my, cross example, all these posts about be empathetic, like what to do, be empathetic. Great. But how, like, wh how do I do that in a cold email? Where, where is the empathy in my first touch cold email? I don't, I don't know where to put that. Like, I get it. I don't disagree with a lot of the content I see on LinkedIn. It's all just good stuff about what to do, but not actually how to do it. There's no tactic. Like, this is what Scott and I do all the time. It's like, give me something I can read today and talk about tomorrow. Right. Right. I, I just, I, I, I've been, and you guys have done it, I'm sure, because you, 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 you know, it's like when you sit in those meetings or you sit in like a training session and you're nodding your head because it all makes sense and you go back to your desk and you're like, okay, but I'm still going to just send the same email I was sending before. Like, I, I just don't know what to change here, how I'm supposed to do it differently, but it, it all sounded really good. Like, you know, it had a good intro and the ending tied it all back together and I, I laughed a few times, but I don't know what I'm supposed to do differently here. And so that so was talk, like my talking about the how that was like the niche or the like gap that you saw and then boom, see a need, yeah. feel a need type of thing. Is that what, That's is right. that what you were thinking? Yeah, That's it. That's it. And I was just like, I'm going to talk about how I've done it, how I've seen seven startups do it well, not do it well and why, and just focus on that. And then it kind of, you know, it was selfish, right? Initially, like I was selfish about, it. I just wanted to do it to, to not have to explain myself in an interview. But then what happened was I started getting messages from people saying like, you know, I, I love your content or I, I love this post or I love this thing you wrote about, you know, how to build a world-class sales team or whatever. And I can't like it because my company monitors my online behavior or my manager's a micromanager and it might stir some trouble or create like a, you know, a bad send, send me those company names offline. I'll bless you. <laughs> <laughs> I gotcha. I gotcha. I gotcha. So I mean, that's when I read those, I was like, "Damn!" Like now, I really want to post. <laughs> now I like want to post for them, 
like the silent majority because I felt that at different points in my career. I felt like I couldn't say the thing that really needed to be said. So this, this is what I would tell you to do. I've done this. I, I, I started this whole Dear Richard thing, right? Like a Dear Abby. Yeah, no, I know. I've read it. I love Dear Richard. Yeah. So I need to do some more of them, but that's how I would tell you to do it because it's a, one, it's a creative way to do it. People will yeah. read it. You're not going to call out a company by name, mm-hmm. but you can address the issue, which is, you know, one, my company's monitoring and two, you know, what are you going to do about it? So mm-hmm. uh, I go write that today. We'll see. So Yeah, that's, I'm down for it. it <laughs> so how, how do you think about um, the brand versus the social selling component? I think people confuse these two all, all the time. So yeah, that's, that's part, that's part of my, my interest in, in talking to you about this. I mean, you said yourself, like, what's, what's social selling? How do I sell people by tweeting? Yeah. Um, so how do you think about, how do you think about that? And also, um, has it worked? Have you literally gotten ROI from, you know, content that you've written on LinkedIn or Twitter or, or wherever? Because I get these messages all the time, like, you know, um, our, our friend Richard, Richard and I, our friend Kevin uh, Gaither said to us last night, like, is the juice worth the squeeze or something, <laughs> something like that? And I'm like, uh, yeah, yes, it is massively. Like I have so many ROI stories I can tell you. So it, I, I would love for you yeah. to share any, any of those stories if you have one. I, so, okay, for well, the first part about social selling versus brand building, Social selling is incremental, brand building is exponential. Like it's really short-sighted to just sit there and try to use your brand, your image, your voice, your ideas for the betterment of just your company that, hey, statistically speaking, you're probably not gonna stay at for more than a few years, right? And you might stay in the industry your whole career, maybe you won't. Personally, every startup I've been in has been a different industry, so that didn't really help me either building contacts in one industry didn't transfer to another. For some people it is, so I get it. So maybe circumstantially it might be different, but as a general rule of thumb, social selling is incremental, brand building is exponential, right? So that's how I always viewed it. It was always gonna be about me, not the company I was at, but the company I was at is right there on my profile for all to see. And you know, I will put a clear message as to who I wanna talk to from my followers or people who engage in my content. So that, that was, like for me, Great. I love, I love that. I love when did that. you start your journey with this, right? When did you start thinking about your brand building? Eight months ago. He said, he said, he said eight months ago. So he's yeah. relatively new to the whole thing. So what did you, so let's, let's go back to that eight months ago. What do you wish someone would have told you in the first two months so that you could have maybe accelerated, right? Like I'm trying to think of the person who's oh, listening yeah. to this and going, Oh my I God, mean, I get social selling versus brand building. I, I, I wish somebody told me just how, how LinkedIn, w- it was going to be in spite of LinkedIn, not because of it. <laughs> that's what I wish someone told me. I wish somebody told that me means, that. That sounds really good, man, but that's, that's you know, too buzzwordy. Give me, give yeah, me so what, what I mean is like, it, it, in spite of LinkedIn, not because of it, that LinkedIn, as I got better or as I got bigger, was going to be like a threat more than the tool that I was using to get that following. For example... Was it getting being a threat? What do you mean it was being a threat? 
like I'm locked out of my followers. Like I can't just download a list of my followers with their emails and send them a message or something or even search. Right. Like I, I've, and now the list is too long. Like I think I'm at like 13 K I can't search 13 K manually and figure out who's who and what's what and where is where if I was in the early days in the first two months, I'd have been so much more diligent keeping track of who my followers were establishing connections early on with people who were showing signs of consistent engagement and being able to just again neutralize the threat that eventually LinkedIn was locking me out of of the following that I was building for me to actually capitalize on it to Scott's so, point and get ROI. So let me so let me ask you this because as far as I know you actually can go and download your your people. The challenge is, is you have a lot of personal email addresses that may be stale and old and they don't use them anymore. No, they've right. changed it. So your default setting now, LinkedIn changed it so that your email is not included and you can download your connections, not your followers. Got you're right. It is connections, not followers, right? So that's that's one thing. The other pieces, and this is how I actually tackle that challenge, right? Mm-hmm. Um, is that at least when someone does get a new job, right? I literally go in and every single one who's of the right, right? Like I'm not you know, it's usually a, a management role because if that's who my target is, yeah. but I will go in and I will say, Hey, congrats on the new gig, not the new job. Like I literally have to go in and manually change it so that it sounds a little more personal and it's not the standard new job that everybody else is sending. And I probably get about a 70%. Hey, thanks Richard. Hey, thanks Richard. So that I at least have that stick. Now, will they remember? I don't know. But I'm also starting to see, and I know I'll start to see again starting this summer and fall, everybody's going to have new gigs. Right? Yeah. Everybody's got one. Yeah. But to your point, though, it's in spite of LinkedIn's. On the one hand, LinkedIn wants you to communicate naturally and have a conversation, but they won't even let me change that standard line so that I could make it Richard's, right? So that I could, you know, otherwise I have to go in and manually do it. So they're, they're very hypocritical in their approach. I mean, uh, if LinkedIn what, wanted to, this would be, this would look like if you, if you and I were connections, we would see right when we view each other's profile. So if you and I were connections or followers, we, you'd be able to see a, the date that I followed you on B a summary of all the times we've engaged together, whether on your content or mine and C any sort of um, recap of like similar following that we have and so on right at the top, right at the tip, top of the profile so that I knew what our relationship truly was. Are you just yeah. somebody that connected with me 10 years ago and we've never ever engaged since, or are you somebody who we've connected and I, like you've been consistently following me and I've been engaging in your content? Like if LinkedIn really wanted to build relationships, that's what they would do. Right. That's, but here's the other thing too. LinkedIn, you know, on the flip side of that LinkedIn's point of view is probably, yeah, but if we make them work harder then they're on our site more. Right. It's, it's yeah, I guess so. <laughs> on site, right? Like that's what they all want. They want to yeah, keep us there. Yeah. So, so I get the sense. And I also know they're very protective of, hey, we know this is a sales tool, but it can't be only a sales tool, mm-hmm. right? Like I know that that's a conscious decision by them, at least in my opinion of, of, from conversations I've had. So yeah. I think they're trying to find that, that fine line, but they could certainly do more stuff like folders and show who's your most active people, you know, all that stuff. So, um, on the flip side, I wish they would say, here's the people you've connected to that you haven't been active with. And then I would probably engage those people. Right. So that, that, yeah, 
healthy, right? So give, it's just, give, us, give, us, give us an ROI story. We're kind of getting towards the end of the end of the show here. Do you have an ROI story you can share? On, on, you are my I'm ROI sure story. Still, I'm, I'm sure there's skeptical people out there still who are like, yeah, sure. He got know, asked to be on this podcast. That's his ROI. <laughs> Yeah, that's. Ex- I mean, it is. I mean, I'm look, talking, I'm, I'm talking. I'm talking dollars and dollars and cents. That's what I'm giving dollars and cents. I totally give you dollars. So, so Dude, eight. Scott, you're like right? Mastercard, man. Scott, we're Mastercard. <laughs> it's priceless to be on the show, right? I mean, look, like what was it? No, maybe not more. It's like probably ten months ago, right? I was just another AE in the world, just another AE of a million of AEs out there, just in the seat. And I followed your content, Scott. And then when I started posting, I noticed that you were, you were engaging with some of my posts, which I thought was crazy because it was like, how, how did this happen? Right. <laughs> and then I reached out to you and because you're super chill, you and Richard are really chill and you guys actually do what you say and give back. You spend an hour with me on the phone and, and like within the first three minutes, we were just like, as if, you know, I just felt like I was talking to somebody who totally got it. And, and we stayed in touch. And one of the things you said on that call, which I totally brushed off, which was like, I can help you get a job. And I'm like, <laughs> yeah, I know. Everyone says that. Everyone's like, I can help you with my connections or my network. And I didn't think anything of it. And I just moved on. And then you started telling me like a month later about some things that you had going on. And next thing you know, now I'm the head of sales of Stratify, which is a Scott Lease advised company where I'm making pretty dang good salary and i got it in the pandemic got that job in the pandemic yeah well you know it just goes to show that building the brand which helps you grow your network and if you grow your network with the right people um there's people out there who you know really do kind of try to deliver and try to help help people and it pays it pays off i wasn't looking for an roi story that involved me by, by the way, <laughs> I was looking for, for a different one. Although it does, it does fit the does fit the bill, Richard. It does fit the bill. <laughs> Get, getting a job is the ROI. I mean, that's the. And now I'm on this podcast, which is crazy. Like a podcast that I listen to. Now I get to be a guest. I I mean, Saint Sehan Mansouri. Sehan Mansouri started reading my content on LinkedIn. CEO of Bravado. Next thing you know, we connected. You know, meeting another brown Muslim sales guy was awesome. We had a very similar story where, you know, second generation immigrants. So There's a lot of, you know, cultural things that we could connect on and understand being in this country and growing up and doing sales, which is really taboo in our cultures where it's predominantly doctors and lawyers and engineers. And next thing you know, I, you know, he gives me a chance to have a community on Bravado, which, you know, helped mitigate a bit that threat from LinkedIn, locking me out of my own following. And because of his nomination, I got the Sales Off Ref Star Award, which arguably is the biggest achievement in my sales career. Yeah. So it's like, and that second happened biggest. in the second, Your biggest is, is being on this podcast. <laughs> yeah. I said arguably. I could argue, yeah, I could argue this is it too. I'm just saying. That's a, <laughs> I'm very political. I'm very I'm diplomatic on that one. <laughs> Not me. I go for the drug dealer. No. Uh, so, you know, we always end the show this way, which is, you know, how can we help you? What can we do to support you? Are there any, you know, it, it is, you know, a pandemic in the world. Is there uh, a charity you're supporting? Is there something we can do to help you and your brand? Um, what can we do? Yeah, you know, I think there, one, one, one piece I just want to say to just to everyone out there is, is um, you know, just, just being grateful. I think there's, 
in, in, you know, I'm a practicing Muslim and in our faith, we say in every hardship, there is ease, there's ease within it. I mean, there, there are so many hardships with what's going on in the world right now, but there's actually a lot of things to actually reflect on and be grateful for this family time that all of a sudden the entire globe gets to experience that they weren't before being forced to is a really interesting phenomenon. The fact that we now celebrate people who we would never celebrate, like those who pick up our trash and those who hit, you know, are the, are the people, you know, scanning the items at the grocery store as we check out. These were like nobody's to us all of four, three months ago, right? Two months ago. And now all of a sudden we're singing their praises. So I think there's been a lot of positives. I just said, everyone, one thing I'll say is just, be grateful and, and look for the ease in this hardship because it does exist and there are stories out there. And I think that the, the thing that I'd ask for is um, we've got this, we've got this. It's really interesting that two people who are in sales with nothing else in common can get on the phone together and completely and totally connect on things like micromanaging, having their commission check played with, um, you know, being, being labeled a job hopper for leaving a company that's high turnover. You know, these things that we know are fundamentally wrong and we all agree upon them being wrong, yet we're all experiencing the collateral damage of them and we're not speaking out together. Like, I'm sick and tired of talking to sellers who try to hide a short stint on their career, whether it was six months or eight months at a particular company, when that company's the bad actor, that has a you know, 50, 60, 70% turnover in their sales org. And, but they're getting labeled the job hopper. So what I say is to everyone listening that that resonates with and you've experienced that and you know those, those emotions that go through it, like this pandemic is, a, is, is giving people cover to do even worse to a lot of sellers out there. And the time is right now to speak up in the way you can. So speaking up might be different levels. It might be actually using your voice and posting if you're in a position of confidence and stability to do so. It might be engaging with others who are, and I know both you and Scott are, I'm trying to as well wherever I can. And it might just be even giving support to the people who are running sales communities, right? The people who are trying to build a sense of community out there, like what Bravado is doing with their community base. And joining those things. So if it's if you can't speak, at least support in some way or fashion, just by even being present in some of those communities and giving um, credibility to those who are standing up for that kind of stuff. Yeah. Because if we don't do it together, it just won't change. And right now, the damage that's being done to a lot of people's sales career will last far longer than this pandemic. It will go way more than when this pandemic ends and hopefully it ends shortly. But those are things that are going to really impact them. So that's what I'd say. The gratitude and like getting involved in whatever way you can, you got to do it now. This is it. Like This is the moment where we either like kind of come together and, and just acknowledge these things or we drop the ball and, it, and it's just going to be bad for a lot of people. It's good. Well, I'm glad you're. I'm glad you're in the fight and ready for uh, the revolution. I'm. I'm. I'm ready as well. And I've been speaking out about a lot of things for for a while now. So, I appreciate you taking some time uh, this morning and, and hanging out with us, man. Keep on. Uh, keep on doing what you're doing. Doing. Doing great things out there. And I know you're helping a lot of people. Um, 
Likewise, guys. I, I, I appreciate you guys having me. I really do. And uh, I, like I said, this is, uh, this is a big moment for me. So I really, I really appreciate it. And I know that, you know, you guys are the, are from that tribe of say what you do. So it's an honor just to be part of that tribe now. Cool. Awesome, man. Good, good to catch up with you. Really appreciate it. And look forward to having some offline conversations with you as well. Likewise. Right. Peace. See you, man.